Hello, church. My name is Sebastian. I'm the pastoral resident here at Redemption City, and I'm glad that you're here to join us tonight. We're gathered because it's Good Friday. And if this is the first time that you are part of a Good Friday service, then you probably, probably are wondering, why do we call it Good Friday? What is so good about today? How can we call it good if we're talking about the death of Jesus? How can it be good if we're talking about the worst act of injustice in the history of humanity? How is this atrocity good? My hope is that throughout the service so far, you've been able to see that, yes, although we call it Good Friday, the tone of the service hasn't been so good. We're able to tell... I can. I think I got it stuck. If you've been able to see that the tone is not so good, the tone is not about excitement, the tone is not about celebration, but it is in fact about confrontation. You see, this service is going to challenge you more than it's going to comfort you. Because when we look at the crucifixion and death of Jesus, we get to sit in a place of discomfort. And you might even feel unsettled a little bit. Tonight I want to invite you to consider the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. But also consider the weight and the cost of our sin. We're going to be wrecked with the reality of our sinfulness. But you see, we got to acknowledge that in order for us to behold the wonder and the beauty of our Savior, we got to be confronted with this reality. We got to wrestle with the cross and we got to wrestle with the cost of our sin. We've been able to see how the story unfolded in Mark 14. We see how by this time the chief priests and religious leaders are plotting against Jesus and they're trying to do whatever it takes to get him killed. Then we see that Judas comes into the picture. We know how the story goes, that he goes to them to betray Jesus for money. And as Jesus and the disciples are celebrating the Passover in a meal, Jesus already knowing this, he says to the disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is seating with me. And we see how the story shifts. And now Jesus is going to a place called Gethsemane. And he takes Peter, James, and John with him. When he gets there, he asks them to stay awake, to pray with him, to keep watch. Because Jesus is overwhelmed with sorrow. So in a moment, he departs from the disciples and he goes to pray to the Father In private, we get to see that in verse 36 of chapter 14 of Mark. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And when Jesus came back, he found the disciples sleeping. And he did this three times, and the three times they were sleeping. Until the third time, he says, the hour has come. 
And into the scene comes Judas with a crowd with swords. And he goes straight to Jesus, and with a kiss in front of everyone, he betrays the Christ. Shortly after, we get to see how Jesus now is taken before the Jewish council. This is where the scribes and the chief priests and the elders are gathered together, seeking testimony against Jesus. Again, they want him killed. We get to see how the conversation goes. The high priest asks him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and come in with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? In his mind, he's saying, we finally got him. Then Jesus is taken before Pontius Pilate to be charged. And it so happened that during this time, there was a tradition where because of the Passover, Pontius Pilate would let a criminal go. If you remember the Passover celebration, it was all about celebrating that God liberated uh, Israel from slavery in Egypt. This is where the Israelites left their chains behind. This is why they now celebrate and remember what God has done for them. So Pilate, in a way to show good a goodwill gesture, he would release a prisoner, and this is in the story now where we get Barabbas. This is what Mark 15, 7 says, and among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas, and he was a criminal who was sentenced under Roman law, and he clearly deserved to be in chains behind bars. Because he was not only a danger to the people around him in society, but he was also a danger to himself. Then we get to see what happens. This is when Pilate asked the crowd, well, who do you want me to release? This is where it gets interesting. Because according to early biblical uh, scholars and uh, other commentators, they say that Barabbas' full name was actually Jesus Barabbas. When we get to analyze the name Barabbas, we get to see that Bar means son. Abbas, just like Jesus was praying to the Father, means the Father, Abba, Father. Here we have, on one hand, you have Jesus, son of the Father, lowercase f. Jesus, son of the Father, capital F. So the question is in front of them, who do you want me to release? This is what we get to see in verse 12. And Pilate again said to them, after they respond, give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Pilate says, well, what do you want me to do with the men that you call king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. So Pilate, we see how he gets to deliver Jesus to the religious leaders now. And get this, even though Pilate says and believes that Jesus is innocent, and even though he knows that he has the authority to not let Barabbas go and decide something else, keep in mind, this was only a tradition. This wasn't a law. And yet he decides to deliver Jesus. He sends Jesus to be scorched. Now the scoring. 
In case you don't know what happened to a person who was to be scorched, um, the first thing that they would do is that they would strip him completely naked. They would expose the flesh of the victim to the whole action of the whip. Then the victim would be bound to a scoring post, and his hands were tied over his head to restrain his body from moving to prevent him from protecting himself. The scourge itself consisted of a short wooden handle with several straps of leather extending from it, as you can see above. The ends of the pieces were equipped with sharp pieces of metal, wire, glass, and even fragment of bones. And every time a victim would be struck, the pieces of metal or glass or wire and bone would sink deeply into the flesh. And as if that wasn't enough, the torturer would then jerk back, pulling as hard as possible in order to tear whole pieces of human flesh from the body. As I was doing my digging here, I wasn't aware of this, but there's a, a, a church in Jerusalem, the Holy Church of Sepulchre, that has a, a column in display. Supposedly, tradition says that this was the column where Jesus was scorched. If you can show the photo. When you analyze the videos and the photos and you look at it closely, you get to see that the pillar still bears the marks of the whips. And I couldn't help but think if, if the column is still displaying those marks, can you just imagine what happened to Jesus' body? What happened to his back? There are historical records that describe a victim's back being so mutilated after the Roman scorching that his spine would actually be exposed. There are other records that show that a victim would spill out their bowels through the open wounds. And friends, this is only the beginning. The story now takes us to our passage, the crucifixion and death of Jesus. In verse 33, we get to see this. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a profound and mysterious image of what took place at that time. We cannot miss it. If we want to know what truly happened, we have to recall the teachings of Jesus. You see, in Matthew 22, if we look at the parable of the wedding feast, also in Matthew 25, if we look at the parable of the talents, we get a little picture of what darkness is. We know that Jesus taught that for those who did not follow him, didn't do the will of the Lord, that they would be cast, thrown out into the utter darkness. Get this, where the weeping and the gnashing of teeth happened. The darkness was a picture of hell. Jesus did experience hell at the cross. You see, when Jesus was scorched, he experienced physical torture. But in that moment, 
as Christ is hanging on the cross, he was also experiencing something that he had never felt before. Something was happening to his relationship with the Father. And his cry, Eloi, Eloi, Lema Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to ask you this question. Why do you think he cried that? Why do you think that was his cry? You see, many would argue that it is because Jesus experienced separation from the Father. They would say that the unity that the Father and the Son experienced was broken. But we need to be careful in saying that the unity of the Godhead can be broken. We need to be careful when we talk about this. There's others that would go to Psalm 22. And if you didn't know this, I didn't either until I had to dig for this. In Psalm 22, we see that David is actually crying out the same thing. He's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They would argue that Jesus is saying this to point out that Jesus wanted the people around him and those who were listening to him to remember Psalm 22. Why? Because Jesus was fulfilling that prophecy. We can read this in Psalm 22. It says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots. One can clearly see Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy. But we also got to remember this. What happened in those hours of darkness was also Jesus' expression of sorrow. He experienced the lack of the Father's intervention in allowing him to suffer in this manner. This is something that he never experienced before. You see, at that moment, God was pouring out his cup of wrath on Jesus. Jesus was drinking the cup that he wants us, the Father, to remove from him. Now Jesus is drinking the cup of the wrath of God for your sin and my sin, for the sins of the world. And in that moment, Jesus experienced a kind of spiritual abandonment. You want to know why? In his abandonment, we can find our adoption. Can you start to see why we call it Good Friday? We move to verse 37, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. This is a remarkable event. And if you want to understand the meaning, uh, the meaning of what took place there, we got to look at the context. In the Old Testament times, the temple in Jerusalem was a place where God lived, a place where God dwelled. And normally, this temple would have, in a way, like two functions. One would be to uh, bring people closer to God. 
then the other would be to actually not bring people too close to God. This is where uh, animal sacrifices would take place. The worship of God would take place. And only once a year, the high priest would be able to go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the people. Only once a year. This place, the Holy of Holies, was divided with a curtain. So when we read, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn into two pieces. That's the, cur- the curtain that we're talking about. So let me ask you this. What do you think that means? What do we make of this event? What is it? This is what it means. That the shedding of the blood of Jesus and his death shows us that his sacrifice was the ultimate and sufficient atonement for our sins, past, present, and future. Now the holies of holies is open because of the blood of Jesus. Now the presence of God no longer just lives in the temple, dwells in the temple. Now the presence of God is in us. This is why we call Jesus our great high priest. Moving on, verse 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. This is a remarkable turn of events right here. We have the centurion, a person who has been trained to inflict excruciating pain. And get this, if you didn't know, I didn't know this either. Excruciating comes from the word crucifixion. That's mind-blowing. We have a person who delights in making people suffer. Inflicting pain to others, it seems to him like it's a sport. So he looks at the Son of God, and he acknowledges that he has killed him. But you want to know something? We're also complicit. In Acts 3, actually, Luke tells us this, that we are complicit. You see, every time that we sin... Every time that we rather follow the desires of our hearts and our pride, we yell, crucify him. We are part of the crowd. And get this. Not only did we yell, crucify him. Friends, we must yell, crucify him. Because if he's not crucified for you, then you're crucified for you. Here we see the centurion recognizing truly he was the son of God and I have killed him. We must recognize that too. Our sin makes us complicit. Our sin makes us shout out, crucify him. Our sin caused Jesus to be overwhelmed by sorrow Our sin caused Jesus to feel abandonment. Our sin caused Jesus to be rejected, scorched, mocked, crucified. Our sin caused Jesus to die on the cross. And friends, it is only when we understand our sin that we can understand God's 
grace. Only when we understand our sin, we can understand that we have been forgiven. And you start to see why we call this service Good Friday. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried out our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastest men that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. This service is God is called Good Friday because Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This service is called Good Friday because we remember that Jesus took our place. And as we continue to remember his death on the cross, Today we have an opportunity to reflect on his sacrifice for us. This is why we come and partake in the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11.23 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 